welcome back to Paperback Besties, where we are besties who like to read and like to talk about it. I'm Rachel. And I'm Callan. And today we are finishing our discussion on The Starling House by Alex E. Harrow. So this is from chapter 17 to the end. If we want to start out, what star rating did you give this book? So on Goodreads, I gave it a 5. I think I'm leaning to 4.5. Okay. I just have questions, and it depends on... And I don't like being left with questions. Okay. Maybe you can clear that up for me. Maybe. I don't know. How about you? I gave it a five. I think it is probably, I don't know, like a 4.7. Like, it's not a perfect book to Mm -hmm. me, but I do love it, and Mm -hmm. I do very much want to read it again. Yes. So, maybe it's not like a six-star book. Like, I, you know, everyone has their favorite, favorite books. This is not one of my favorite, favorite books, but I do think it is very, very good. This is a great book. And like I said in the last one, it has everything that I want in a book Mm -hmm. but we'll discuss when we get there okay i'll 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 let you know when the half star kind of comes off for me (laughs) okay (laughs) um so where we left off was chapter 17 yeah and that was essentially right after arthur had told opal his perspective of the story of starling house and can I just say that if we just kept reading one more chapter, a lot of our questions from the first part would have been answered. Yes. At the end of this fucking chapter. Because <laughs> I, once we stopped recording, I think I like ate or something. I don't even know. And then I just finished it that night. Like I just wiped out the whole thing. I think the first part I said, this is a not a easy read. It's kind of, it's not slow. It just was dense. But then everything just picked up. Yes. In one shot. And I just was able to eat it up. I was thinking that too. I was, as I was, I finished it this morning mm-hmm. and um, as I was reading it, I, I was thinking that we kept saying like, oh, it's so dense. Like it's very heavy. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of information and you're right. It all comes to, obviously it all comes to fruition in the second half. And I feel like reading the second half was a much different experience than reading the first half. Cause the first half I was like taking notes. I was like backtracking. Like we were saying, where are we? What's going on? And then all of a sudden I was just like puzzle pieces just falling into place. Yes. And I was, it was just kept going so we were just saying before we started recording that i started taking notes while i was reading it which i've never done before to any book ever even like homework books i've never done this so this is fun for me but my first note just says arthur left when opal was 12 that's when her dreams started when the house thought it lost its warden and chose another one Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's a reference to. But so I, <laughs> I have that note. So that's in chapter 17. Um, so the note is a lot of our questions from part one were answered here. And I kind of starred some of them. So one, that Opal started having the dreams when he ran away. Mm-hmm. Two, that Arthur ran away to school instead of like we kind of were like he ran away. What the fuck happened? We weren't really sure. Yeah. And then three, how he found his parents dead. Yeah. He told the whole story with that, too. So, oh, and then also in the same fucking chapter, the story of Opal's mom's death and his role in that. So all of that was in, if we just read one more. Yeah. (laughs) But it worked out perfectly. Um, And then I tabbed page 160, how the house ships them. (laughs) I I wrote a note on page 161. Oh, what was your tab? My note says, the beast makes eye contact with Arthur and he wasn't afraid. And then the quote, how can he be afraid of the eyes he sees in the mirror every morning? And I don't know what happens. (laughs) 
But that, I had a question about that, and then I think it got resolved later in the book when we were actually talking and interacting with beasts a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. And it's kind of a throwaway line. But what is the house shipping then? Because that's more interesting to me right now. 160, right at the bottom. He takes his hand away from her side. The air chills several degrees. A floornail worries itself loose from the wood and jabs into his right knee. He's trying to tell Opal to, like, leave again. And the house is like, stop it. I think I said this in the first half, but with one of my notes, the house is my favorite character. Yes. And I love him. It. I love its little sassy attitude. I love later in the book when we're talking about how the house has, like, grown and developed from, like, what it originally started as. And it mourned its wardens. Yeah. And I just, my heart broke for the house. I was very concerned that we were going to lose the house. We didn't. We didn't. It was lovely. <laughs> I was so excited by that. Did you ever have an answer to your note? Um, about the beast being part of Arthur? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, like, later when we go to the underground and we see the Underland, is it? Yeah, the Underland. On the Underland. And we see, remember before she runs into the, the Underland version of the house and there's a beast and the cat is like warming his little way through the, the beast legs. And she's like, mm-hmm. I've only ever seen those eyes on Arthur before. And essentially like, I don't know, the beasts are like part of whoever's controlling them. So like Eleanor is like essentially, I don't know. She's not like, it's not like he's a beast, but like the beast is like reflective of like who he is and who the history of the house is and stuff mm. through Eleanor. That's interesting. Cause I only think the, I only was like, maybe it's because in his, cause the Underland is your own nightmares, and his mm-hmm. nightmares are all the people that he couldn't save. Uh-huh. So I thought maybe it was his parents. Like, he was looking into his parents' eyes. Uh-huh. But, I mean, yours actually sounds better, because that, that is right. I actually had a question mark. That is one of my no, like, one of my questions mm-hmm. that I have. <laughs> but he also, one of his nightmares could be himself, because all these people he couldn't save are dead, and there's just an, a monster he cannot defeat. Mm-hmm. And that monster could be himself in his own brain. Yeah. Well, he he hates himself. We know yeah. that. He's just living there in just a house of, like, guilt and shame. A little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of everything. This is thought-provoking. He's just amalgamation of everything he hates. This is he a good, thought-provoking book. Oh, absolutely. And it does very much have the rereadability of mm-hmm. that because like if you even know where we're gonna go i mean it's yeah. it's easy to assume that you're gonna end relatively happily like it doesn't feel like the kind of story even in the beginning that it's like gonna end like dramatically i like, kind of may- thought it wasn't at one point really mm-hmm. i felt like maybe somebody was gonna die but, i was like, gonna I be okay with that yeah but it didn't feel like it was gonna be like and then now we're homeless again and that's the end. Like it felt like there was gonna be yeah. some sort of resolution. So in chapter eighteen, she gets all depressed because he really tells her his side of the story of how her mom died, which is he was pissed that his parents passed away. He had to be back at the house and he was just literally spent like the entire year basically just drunk and he didn't give a shit. And a beast escaped, and that's the same beast that ran in front of her mom's car her car plunged into the river but then i have a note that bev knew her real last name because mm-hmm. she asked and she was pissed at bev and then jasper goes and visits arthur which i thought was really funny actually 
Yes. I um, actually love that scene. Especially when he like looks up and he's like, you know, kind of drunk again and he's like passed out and he's on the ground and he looks up and he's like, I don't see any resemblance except the same expression. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, oh God, there's more of them. <laughs> so Jasper visits Arthur, kind of confronts him. And that's when Arthur finds out that Opal and Jasper are Gravely's, even though Jasper already knew before Opal did, and he just never told her. These two siblings have a lot of miscommunication going on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't enjoy that aspect of their relationship. I understand why they both don't tell each other things, because they both think they're doing the right thing and not stressing the other person out. But I feel like if we just talked about it... Yeah. I feel like we'd be a lot less stressed if we both just talked about why we feel like we're stressing out our siblings. Um, Granted, one of them is 26, who had to grow up way before her time. So mm-hmm. she's incredibly immature in that sense. And the other one is 16. Yeah. Who was raised by someone 10 years older than him his entire life. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Later, when he makes the comment about how he doesn't remember what mom looks like when he just like pictures his mom he pictures her mm-hmm. yeah so sweet. that was the only time they had like an actual conversation that's true <laughs> pretty much about the fact that they don't have enough conversation right <laughs> i'm glad they resolved that yeah page 172 he hopes that there's a source keeping everything alive and that he can basically kill it and there is we know um and he knows there have been other places plagued by mists and beasts they kind of touch on that a little in the first part i think i didn't have the energy to try to dig through the book to figure out where they mentioned that before but that's interesting to me that there's other places in the world and then even elizabeth bain at some point later on says how that there's other places was it elizabeth bain it must have been Mm -hmm. um that there's other places but oh yeah when she called arthur there's other places like this but starling house is the most active I don't know, I'd like to know more about those other places. It wasn't needed for the book. It, didn't, it wouldn't have added anything. I'm just nosy. Well, I think they say something about the rivers mm-hmm. and how this is like the sixth river mm-hmm. from the metamorphoses. Anyway. <laughs> so chapter 19, <laughs> she goes back to work at Tractor Supply for a hot second and she has a conversation with Charlotte. Charlotte is getting her master's. She wants her to move with her potentially, but... This is when she kind of starts having a crisis about home and Eden being home and what the fuck home is and family and how I just like how Charlotte says home is wherever you are loved. And that kind of one line sticks with Opal for the rest of the book because it comes up every so often. Yeah. And it's especially cute considering what we now know about Charlotte. Yeah. Because she, um, I think at some point Opal's like, well, why are you here? Like you, you didn't grow up here. You just found this town. Like why why do you stick around here kind of thing? Well, we find out it's because she is loved there and that's where her partner is, mm-hmm. which I think is special. I had a note about their relationship that we find out later. But essentially, once we find out that Charlotte and Bev are dating, is that I said, I don't know if I completely missed this. Like if there was any like clues dropped that I just I, completely I... missed. But if I did, it's just clever writing. Or if I didn't miss any clues mm-hmm. and there were no clues, it's clever writing because Opal didn't have any clue. Right. And Opal's the one telling the story. So if she didn't have any clue, then we never did. I think the only thing is, and I might be 100% wrong, but I believe that Charlotte would drop her library holds off at the motel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there was a scene where they were bickering. 
Yeah. But I feel like I one of my like extensions of my notes, I said, I feel like it seems the, like the kind of thing that would have bigger clues on a reread. And yeah. I kind of want to reread the scene where they are bickering. I think that like the library holds thing is a big thing in like the only clue that when you reread it, it might make sense that like Charlotte would always drop her holds off at the library, not because she was like doing Opal a solid, but because she was actually just going to go see Bev, mm-hmm. which makes sense. But it's like, oh, might as well bring these. And then I think when in this chapter, when Opal goes to visit Charlotte or whatever happened here and they kind of get in that little, they kind of got in a little bit of an argument, mm-hmm. kind of Opal asks or sorry, Charlotte asks Opal to like, hey, would you, you know, totally move with me. But in the beginning, I mean, I think things kind of go a little bit cold because I believe Opal's like, oh, like I have, you haven't brought any holds recently or something. Mm-hmm. And then Charlotte responded something like, well, I'd sorry I didn't get my paycheck from you or something and I think at that point maybe Bev and Charlotte were fighting just because Charlotte was talking about leaving oh, and I think they hinted to that later on when you find out that they're a couple and so obviously she wasn't bringing her holds because she wasn't visit- visiting Bev at the motel yeah so I think that's it I didn't pick up on that. But before that, like, Opal was just like, oh, she's not bringing my books. Because she's right. not focused on what Bev and Charlotte are doing together. Because right. they are just two people who know each other. Separate people who live in yeah. a small town. Yeah. I do like Opal's, um, I don't like, but I do, Opal's little, like, depression cloud that she goes into for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And seeing her thoughts narrate through that. And essentially how she convinces herself, I guess later, but she convinces herself that, like, it's actually not Arthur's fault. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that because it's very clearly not actually Arthur's fault. Yeah. Yeah. She matures a lot within those few chapters. Because like how many other books or whatever would would do this where the, the character is just punishing the other character forever for something mm-hmm. that they did when they were a literal child. Like yeah. that, that happens in stories all the time. Yeah. And like as a reader, I would always be the person that's like, it's not his fault or, you know what I mean? Like kind of mm-hmm. shaking your shoulders. And she does that for herself, which I enjoy. It gives her points. Mm-hmm. And then also we get to read about other things instead of just essentially a miscommunication trope between the two love interests where they're just bickering or. Yeah. The miscommunication is between siblings, which fine because it's <laughs> a side story. <laughs> yeah. So then in. 20 she's kind of coming out of her depression a little bit bev admits that she did let them stay there Mm -hmm. she was like do you really think that i let you guys stay here all these years because i lost a bet like no we touched on that in part one we find out that arthur paid off jasper's school tuition because he doesn't want her to come back Mm -hmm. and then she goes and visits jasper during her lunch break jasper has the rest of arthur's version of the history starling house and the second half of Arthur's mom's letter. Mm-hmm. And from that, we realize that Arthur isn't stuck there and you can choose if you're the warden or not. And the thing about the blood oath. And the blood oath thing, yeah. Yep. Which further ties into my thing about the blood on the gate. Yes. And the sharing blood with him. And I made a note on that and I said, I love that this story is being read aloud with side commentary. I love that, too. And I read that. I was like, Rachel's going to love this, too. <laughs> this is what we might call a pattern. I said, nobody ever found their bodies, but according to your boyfriend's notes, ow, Jesus, it's called a joke. They have headstones side by side. <laughs> yeah. 
I was actually like that made me really like Jasper even more. Yeah, very sixteen-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. I like I, his storyline. Like I like where he ends up. Me too. For a while, I was like kind of sketched, but yeah, it got resolved very well. I had a question about yeah the blood oath because we know she kind of takes one. She started seeing the beasts after they like their bloody hands from part one touch. Yeah. And so like, what did that have to do with anything else? Um, I don't know. I just so it was like in their fight scene right where we left off before mm-hmm. is that she can see that he's fighting something, but she can't see what it is until they share essentially blood, and then she can see them. But I think that may have just been like a a moment of like accessing his wardenness. I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Okay, but like it's essentially like share like she can. I don't know. She can, like, see what he's seeing because she's, like, accessing his blood. I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it did make sense to me, like, in my brain, where they, like, shared that connection, and now she can see it. Yeah. But she's not she's not connected to the house. She's connected right, to Arthur. Right. She's just connected to the beast. Because, like, once she actually does share the blood oath with the house and becomes the warden, is she has, like, that, like, the, the connection or the feeling of the house, and she can, like, feel the gates and feel the, the ground. And- mm-hmm. Yeah. She knows when people are there and stuff. Mm-hmm. But she Which I thought have... was really cool. Yes. But she doesn't have that in that moment with Arthur. I think it's just like... Just she... a beast. It's almost like, like, a do- like a key way of like letting her in mm-hmm. to what Arthur is experiencing or seeing. I don't know. I, I like... I've... It made sense. But now that I'm saying it, I'm like, it doesn't actually make sense. But it yeah. did to me. <laughs> and, that, and that's like... That's the thing. It's like, I have questions. And it's not in a bad way. It's just... That's what's keeping the point five. So in the rest of chapter 21, we realize that Jasper has the dreams too. Yes. You're not the only homeless kid in this town. Mm-hmm. And also, we should probably talk to our siblings. If you're in a, like, a life or death situation, exclusively with your sibling. Like these people seem to always be in. Yeah. Maybe just talk to them about yeah. it. Yeah. We punch Elizabeth in the face. Right. She shows up <laughs> at Tractor Supply, threatens... God damn it, Opal. And Opal punches her. Good. You know what I realized? Mm-hmm. From here on, basically the rest of this book takes place within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So shit really picked up. Mm-hmm. It's been a hard 24 hours for Opal, and it really bothered me that she like hasn't showered. Yes, I was very <laughs> concerned with the showering time. Yeah. I don't know, because there is a period of time where we don't see her. So I really hope that she, like, took a shower and then went over there. Because then she... Where would she have showered, though? Doesn't Charlotte say, like, come back to my place kind of thing? Oh, does she? But I don't know. Because then she's like, no, I have to wait for Arthur. But then they all wait together. And then Arthur comes out. And then Arthur goes home. And then he goes to sleep. And it's, like, a couple hours. Because he's in the middle well, of the night. Well, she takes Jasper in the meantime to the Greyhound station. Mm-hmm. And they have the whole conversation. I don't know. Maybe she showered. We'll we'll just assume she showered. I at the very least, I I hope that she showered like right before they went to bed. She's like covered in fire, <laughs> right? Yeah, and like sweat. Yeah. So thankfully, she punches Elizabeth Bain because she's driving me fucking crazy. But that doesn't end anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I have a note on one ninety eight, but that is essentially where she does she makes the decision that it's not actually Arthur's fault. Mm. And that was my note that I was like, I would really hate it if we were just mad at him this entire time for something that clear that he clearly regrets and did not intentionally do. 
Definitely did not intentionally do to spite Opal and Jasper, who he did not know at the time and saved from drowning as a result of his guilt. She essentially is thinking to herself after she punches her, punches Elizabeth in the face and then kind of walks away. And she's like walking, talking about, thinking about how her mom had all these big dreams and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually like that part too. I remember this part because he couldn't have been more than 16 or 17 when it happened, all alone except for the awful weight of his choices the endless halls of his labyrinth mm-hmm. and that made yeah that stuck with me i didn't even take note on that but that's still like i kept thinking about that line even right now I like it was an know. accident the next line it was an accident plain and ugly and he blamed himself so thoroughly that even i believed him mm-hmm. this book is very well written yeah i'm telling you she's my favorite author i just really i was talking to dave about this today we were working on this room and i was saying like i just genuinely enjoy books that like make you think Mm -hmm. but not like um not like philosophy but like Mm -hmm. like novels that are just like i don't know they're just more than just words on paper yeah like it's entertainment but it's also like entertainment that's like thought-provoking and right inspiring and i i enjoy that so we found out in chapter 22 that arthur did call around because his version of the underland didn't have a dedication but opal's version did and she thinks that's the key to the underland which is just befriend the beast so arthur calls around he does find out that she had in her will to add that dedication to future releases oh and bane calls arthur realizes that the incentive to get Arthur to sell the house or whatever the fuck is happening is opal so that whole plan sets in motion mm-hmm. which we don't find out until later but it's made obvious what they're doing um and then 23 is the motel is on fire and they're framing opal for it but they don't realize that she has family yeah in charlotte and bev (laughs) so and then 24 is when shit just goes down the officer people who fucking know her but this is eden they keep turning a blind eye or whatever the saying is like this officer helped her when she got pulled out of the river and she's screaming, where's her brother? Everybody knows her brother. Like, this is a small town. And she's mm-hmm. like, my phone. And they're, like, not giving her her phone. And, you know, even if you think she said fire to the motel. Like, I mean, you all grow up right under each other. There's one Dollar General, a McDonald's, and a tractor supply store and a motel. Like, this place is not big. Yeah. I don't know. That just drove me fucking crazy. But I understand because they're under the, you know, it's all a hierarchy of money and power. So... That's when we find about I find out about Bev and Charlotte. And they're being dicks to them, too. Yes. This guy just seems like a dick. And apparently, I mean, obviously, but, like, apparently even, like, the actual cops think he's a dick because they, like, remove, he doesn't even drive a cop car. He drives, like, his own car. Yeah. Yeah. They took his lights away. They took his lights away. Yeah. <laughs> I had a thought about this section, and I was like, how interesting is it that, like, before this happened... We're all essentially, like, in this, like, magical house with all of these magical, like, beasts and, like, hell and all of this stuff that's very fantastical. And then, like, the the hitch is just somebody gets arrested and they have to deal with the cops being handcuffed and, like, going through due process and all this stupid shit of, like, a very human problem. I just thought that was interesting. I don't really know if I have, like, a real note about that, but I was just, like... I think the balance is cool. The balance is cool. 
It's not all just like imaginary problems. It's like very real stupid problems of having a cop that just doesn't like you for seemingly no reason. And people who are just doing things for because they're listening to the people with power and money from like Elizabeth Bain to like Don Gravely who comes in. Yeah, and he's just like I just there's there's money under that land. Like shut up with your stupid yeah. fucking money. No one cares. Yeah. Don. And he said that he would he knows that they're Gravelys and he'd take them in. But he wants to expand the power plant and only if they can give him Starling House or whatever. And she's like, I don't fucking work there anymore. And I think actually, I think even though they're like villains and I love villains, but and these people are not good villains. These are not villains I like, but I do like how they masterminded everything. I appreciate that. Yeah. Because Opal's like, I don't work there anymore. Like, fuck off. And She's like, what are we doing? And then Bane's like, we're waiting. And I was like, oh my god, are they going to come in right now? And then he did. <laughs> I didn't like it, but I appreciate it. <laughs> he like barged in like fucking Bruce Wayne. Bev called him a scarecrow. <laughs> and that's I why like- he's not my book boyfriend. I'm not attracted to the scarecrows. <laughs> we also find out from Dawn that the family fortune actually belonged to her mom. But he burned the will and then it just so happened that the beast kind of came out and killed her Hmm. right at the same time i will say that bumped me a little bit one of the things when the book i just read before this that i gave one star to and really did not enjoy my big problem with it was that the main character would be like asking a question and then the anyone would just be like oh here's my plan and they would just like spill absolutely everything but I don't think he didn't really do. Here's my plan. But he did like out of nowhere, pretty much just like confess to a crime. Mm-hmm. That's like a pretty big plot point. Mm-hmm. And it bumped me just a little bit. I was like, I don't think that he would say that in this situation. I feel like I was like, oh, I burned the will myself. And I was like, you wouldn't say that. In a- yeah. Maybe he was just trying to intimidate and threaten. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. And maybe he just like didn't really believe that she had any power or authority whatsoever. So it was just didn't really matter. Right. She knew. Right. That's only because I was spurned by the last book did I notice that. That makes sense. That kind of closes out that chapter. Um, Her and Bev and Charlotte wait for Arthur because um, they really didn't give a shit about her anymore because they had Arthur there. He comes out and he's just like, don't worry, whatever. Leave, go, as he's said this entire book. And then that's when he hands her his wallet. Oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> he hands her his wallet. He's like, get you and Jasper out. And she's like, okay, I will. And she basically says, like, my lie is very convincing because he looks a little bit relieved. And then she goes and finally gets a hold of Jasper. Um, he does react like a very 16-year-old boy. And mm-hmm. that's when she basically tells him that she got him into that private boarding school. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well... <laughs> I'm going to college instead. That whole thing plays out. They have a communication about their miscommunication. And she gets him on the bus. And she's like, you got to get the fuck out and use this money, get an apartment before school starts and go there. And he does, which I appreciate. Right. I thought he was going to be like a little whiny dick about it, but he wasn't. He did. There was like a throwaway moment earlier when she had contacted, what is his friend's name? Logan. Um, There was a moment when... Logan said something about like, oh, he has that interview and it was kind of a throwaway line. But I think we were led to believe that it was a a gravely power interview, like Mm -hmm. with the power plant. And Mm -hmm. she I think maybe she makes a note of it, too. And she's like, oh, my God, maybe I missed something. Maybe they got back in touch with him. Mm -hmm. And that was I was worried. I was very concerned that he was like resigned to just 
do work at this terrible place and yeah. probably poison his lungs. But, but not. It was his college interview. Yeah, yeah, because really at the whole time he was at the library, the reason why they couldn't get a hold of him is because he turned his ringer off because he was meeting with, like, the counselor or something. Yeah. Yeah. Academic advisor. Yeah. That's Good really for funny. him. Good for him. And I like she convinces him because he's like, oh, I'm going to go into business so I can make some money and support you. And she's like, please don't do that. Do yeah. art, do video, do anything. You're good at it. It's what you enjoy. And I enjoy, I like that too. I really liked that too. More of those conversations in real life need to be had. Anyway, they have sex in the doorway. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the house appreciated that. In the doorway, right? I wasn't I wasn't messing around. Like like I No, wasn't... it was like okay. the yeah. it was the doorway. Okay. My brain is like the little foyer. Like yeah. you like walk in, there's one of those round tables with nothing on it for no reason. And they're just like between the round table and the door. Yeah. They're on they're on a rug. I know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're on like the welcome mat. Actually, very sweet, and I liked it was. that it was. It was like a, it was a moment, but it was also like a very sweet moment that the two of them are finally like actually being emotional. Yeah, and they're letting themselves have that happiness because these are. I think at some point, I don't remember. I think she's the one who mentioned, or maybe he is, or I don't fucking know. They're um like they're both very similar in the sense that they've kind of given their life to support other people or. Like, Opal supporting Jasper and doing everything she can to support Jasper, and Arthur doing everything that he can to make sure that he's the last warden of the Starling House. Like, mm-hmm. they've given their lives and happiness up and all their wants and dreams and goals to for something other than themselves. So it's a moment where they kind of both have that time together where they put themselves first. It was a very fade to black moment, but that was fine. So it worked. It, in was, it was it was a little bit in there, you know. Yeah. Not everything has to be like dirty smut. This is true. It would feel very out of place. It would, I think. And then in that afterwards, they're like laying together, and because she's held up against his body, she somehow remembers from when she was fifteen him pulling her out of the river because she his arms felt very similar. Yeah, that feels like a little bit of a stretch, but the only thought I just had. Do you have a note? No, it, it's magical and mystical, so sure, yeah. it works. But I would really hope that his um, physique has changed in <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> well, my only thought is that she often, like earlier in the book, when she has like these very vivid dreams, will like remember being held by somebody mm-hmm. mysterious. And then she's act- feeling like- warmth in the cold. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so she always thought it was, like, this big mystery or she just imagined it or something, but now she's actually, she might be, like, yeah. having that dream and then realize, like, she kind of, like, half wakes up and she's like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and now that she knows that he was essentially present, yeah, it, it pieces together a little bit easier, but it is a little bit of a stretch to be like, oh, yeah, let me remember this from 11 years ago, this person holding me. <laughs> well, the nurses always told her it was, like, shock, but also that's a really big moment for Opal. Because she always thought that she, and this is a recurring throughout the entire book, she always blamed herself because she always thought that she let go of her mom's arm. Kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, save yourself kind of way. But she realized because he was pulling her out and he said, you were stuck on something. I had a little bit of hard time. She realizes that wasn't her being stuck on something. That was her holding her mom's hand. Mm-hmm. And because he pulled her, she let go. And she always thought it was her. Like she always thought that she was a bad person for doing that. But really it was because like he was helping her out. Yeah. So that was a good moment for Opal to kind of relieve herself of that guilt. Yeah. And then have sex again. And then Arthur has a dream and I have a note about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on 244 is the last page of the chapter. And this time when she falls asleep against him, it feels like trust. And this time he falls asleep too. 
Um, Arthur dreams, and this time he isn't sure whether they belong to him or to the house. I think it's the house. Because it's good dreams. Because it's good dreams. And the the house is like, look how happy you are. You can have coffee on a little coffee table. And you can have flowers on a flower. And he's like, the house is like sending him happy vibes because the house is happy. Rachel, I love that. (laughs) I was like, it's the house. And then all of a sudden the mist is rising and he wakes up and he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. So here's where shit gets real. Yeah. So Arthur blows up the entryway to the underland. Uh-huh. thinking it won't wake opal up it does um yeah <laughs> all right that was my first that was like okay okay Artie, let's get serious it's an explosion in the yeah basement. yeah so he basically goes on a suicide mission she wakes up realizes that he left the sword and he has a will and he's left everything to her mm-hmm. she does he base- wrote miss opal starling yeah and she then basically does a blood ritual to become the new warden did he like give that up by leaving or did he just what and now there's two what do you oh, think no. that he gave it up by leaving or did he just no because i now there's think two. technically he's still in the house yeah, technically technically because of how like mm-hmm. under he's still like underneath of it at this point i think because she did the whole blood thing with the sword i mm-hmm. think it's kind of like whoever does that yeah and he can feel it happening because I think when we switch to his point of view, even if it's like the next, I think it's the next chapter, even after her point of view again, he, I think he says something where he knows that she's awake and he knows that she's now the new warden. Like he could feel it. Something like that. Yeah. I thought he said something too, maybe about, um, he was like, so once he was behind that locked gate, he was like disconnected from the house. Oh. Like he couldn't feel the house anymore, but maybe it was because of that or maybe it was in another moment i don't remember but i remember like he like left he like went got through the gate mm-hmm. and he was like shut off from the house and he didn't feel anything anymore and he just felt like his own feelings and it was like a moment yeah yeah he got the keys from the beast because he befriended it mm-hmm. um and then not as well as he thought he did yeah <laughs> i mean they didn't really give him a chance to be honest so now that as the warden opal can feel everything which i think is really cool she can feel that Bane and her posse are showing up and she knows that beasts are attacking them right now because from Arthur going down into the Underland, like kind of more beasts are coming up and they're mm-hmm. attacking the right people. So she actually gets into a thing with Bane and then she comes up and she befriends a beast and she wants it to like give it keys and stuff. Um, that's mm-hmm. when she sees Arthur in that beast and I still don't really know what's happening there. <laughs> the cat's friends with the beast. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a cat. Yeah, the cat might be a beast. I don't know. Who's to say? Um, I always thought from the first half, I thought the cat was, like, related to the house somehow because the cat was, like, watching over her all of the time. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then she, like, gave it to Arthur. And I, I don't know. I felt like he was relevant. So maybe he is a little, like, a little baby beast. Maybe. Who's, like, connected I did worry about the cat the whole time, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. Yeah, she, like, looks at... She, after she, like, throws the little tree away or dodges uh, Elizabeth from the tree that's falling on her, she makes eye contact with the beast and find them subtly changed. They're still the same abysmal, but there's a gentleness to them and aching sadness. An image comes to me of those same eyes looking up at, up at me from a field of flowers. No, I whisper, and the hellcat gives me a cool amber stare, rubbing her cheek against the mist-colored fur. It occurs to me that she's only ever been that affectionate with one living creature. Yeah. What's that? 
I don't know. I, I'm still kind of lost with that. Like, maybe it's because he's down there. Like, yeah, the beasts have part of him in there. And if, like, he wasn't, like, they would just look like beasts. I don't know. Or is it Eleanor, like, fucking with her? So she has no way in because Arthur blew it up. And then he got the key from the beast and locked the door behind him. So she's like, all right, there's another way. And then she just goes and fucking jumps off the bridge. Uh-huh. All right. So then in chapter 29, she, like, goes to the old mine. She, like, rips off, like, the the boards. And she's, like, essentially digging her way down into the Underland. Yeah, it was the, it's the little mine shaft that that little boy died in. Yeah. And it was, like, blocked over and buried over by vines and stuff over the past, you know, however long, many years that was. Yeah. Since he died in there. And um, I'm assuming this is the mine that Nathaniel was digging. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. And this scene gave me the jeebies and I didn't like it. Like, I liked it because it was clearly very well written because I was getting physically uncomfortable. And she's barefoot mm-hmm. and has no flashlight. Mm-hmm. No phone flashlight. Right. And I'm like, how are she doing this? Scary. And at some point she had to, like, crawl because it was, like, only as wide as her shoulders. And I was like, oh, no. That's yeah. so scary. So I like how she kind of finds this entrance. And when she gets there, she sees a river. But she sees, like, a staircase and a door. Uh-huh. And that staircase is familiar. So I really like how it's like, okay, like that, I don't know. That just made total sense to me where it's like, okay, there's all this happening where she's got to like kind of dig her way down. I don't know. (laughs) That part kind of lost me a little bit, but it all made sense because of everything with Nathaniel. I think that was all really well written Mm because it all kind of tied together. And then also you see how the house connects everything. So there's a river under there. And then there's the dreamland corpses of Arthur and Eleanor. Did you catch the thing about the the wisteria and, like, the vines from that are wrapping around the house have their roots mm-hmm. in the river? And, like, that's why the house has, yeah. like, magical dreams associated like, with it? Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, the house is dreaming because the house is being, like, essentially, they mention a couple of times that the house looks like it's being held together with these plants. The plants are, like, drinking the water of the dream place. And then the house is dreaming. So that's how it's house magical? Things. Yeah. Oh, that's one of my questions. I was like, well, so how's the house magical? Because it's drinking dream water. <laughs> oh, I only caught how people say that wisteria really only grows on the riverbank and this house isn't on a riverbank. So I was like, oh, the wisteria roots. Oh, they're from the river down here. Yeah. Okay. And then like I was, oh. I don't know if it was in this moment that we said the thing, but it said she said something later about like how the house is dreaming of house things, of like having happy people who live inside of it and like oh. taking care of it and stuff. Oh. Yeah, I know. Maybe we learn about it later when um find out about the house mourning Arthur's parents mm-hmm. and like doing the black, like putting black fabric yeah. on everybody's yeah, pictures and yeah. stuff. And he was just like, at the time, I just thought that the house was like, being a dick but the house was actually sad and like expressing his own sadness oh well i know like he said that electric people never came plumbing people never came it's just Mm -hmm. one day the electricity just was there and another day that there was a stove and an oven and then another day there was like running water and the house Mm -hmm. is like oh all those houses have that i'm gonna have that it was like dreaming yeah okay that makes sense that makes the underland is like dream, you know, like yeah. anything they want is just, you can just make it up and it'll happen. So yeah. it's like essentially thriving on that energy. Okay. Well, that makes more sense to me now. Yay. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I missed that. Cause at the end of this, I'm like, okay, so the underland is just that. Why the, the fuck does this magical house have to do with it? So yeah, the under, like you have to drink this water 
fall asleep on the riverbank because this water puts you to sleep and the underland is your dreams and she finds arthur there yeah and he's like what the fuck this bitch is here and eleanor is just laying in the river like an old-timey costume lady yeah Mm. i would have been so fucking freaked i would be so fucking freaked out i would have left i just very much see like in hercules like when they show the underworld like you know, mm-hmm. Hades, like, down there, and it's, like, all those cartoony people just, like, <laughs> in the sticks. That's all I see. That's, like, literally what I saw. I saw, like, cartoony from Hercules version of Eleanor and Arthur in my head. That's funny. I saw them, like, it's, like, the stairs, and there's just, like, a like a pool. They're, like, a foot under the water just laying there. Like, yeah. Yeah, I saw the them. The water before. is, like, two feet deep. Like, they're just laying, like, on the ground. I, yeah, like, a foot deep in my head. They were cartoony, like, they were from Hercules, and the the... the River was literally like you can jump across it. Like that's how. Yeah, it wasn't it. even a river to me. <laughs> right. It was like a pool. <laughs> right, it was like a creek. Yeah, yeah. So we're in this version of the Underland Starling House. There's beasts that Arthur can't I'm go into staring at. Right, staring at because he befriended them, but not really. But like they didn't really give him a chance to befriend him. But they're being controlled by Eleanor. So, but I'm while he's lady. distracting them, she goes into the house and talks to her. And El- Eleanor is alive and controlling the beast, and I called it in part one. Yeah. I am a genius. Don't know what the word abysmal is when it doesn't have an M in it, but. <laughs> abyssal. Abyssal? Like abyss, the deep abyss. I don't know. So we find out Eleanor's story. And then that's uh-huh. actually the oldest Gravely wasn't a husband. It was her father. Mm-hmm. And then she talked to, well, then he died. Yeah, he did die. He did and, die. Yeah. And, and left then her money. Yeah, left her money, but then she was not quite 18 yet, so she didn't have that money, so her uncles took care of that for her. Then when she started turning of age, her uncle John forced her to marry him, and then that's when she met Nathaniel Boone. She decided to go to the underworld, and that's when she met, because Nathaniel Boone was the hare in her story, and that's when Uh she met all the beasts in the underland, and she was so upset, and they're like, we got it, and then they came up, came back, their mouths all bloody. And then when she woke up, she was scared, but she went back, realized that her uncle husband was dead. And as his widow, she got his fortune. And that's when she gave the that land, the money land and the coal to her youngest uncle. And she just was like, I'm just going to take this acreage right here. And that's when she started building the house. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that her uncle had a fortune. I think that they were like going broke at that period of time and she mm-hmm. had the money yeah and that's why he had to marry her because well, he oh yeah 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 definitely yeah. yeah so she so the money that she inherited was hers all along mm-hmm. like inherited after her marriage like that was hers that had been yeah. her money the reason why that her uncles didn't want her leaving at 18 was because then she was going to take all that money with her because it yeah. was hers so they were like doing the thing that white men do or did, or some still do, whatever the fuck, oh god, and manipulated her and was like, we're, yeah, you're gonna marry me now, and this is disgusting. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. And also, they have a very human, like, villain arc of just being after, like, money and power. Yeah, this is the, the villain of the story is the money and the power. Yep. It's like, the same thing with keeping slaves, even after emancipation. Same thing with making your niece marry you. Same thing with the Gravelys kind of like holding this over Opal and Jasper just to mm-hmm. get more money for the town, which literally has nothing in it. So 
Yeah. Same thing with running a whole business that's like just polluting Mm -hmm. the world and all of your workforce to the Mm -hmm. point where like the town is famous for like having asthma as a whole yeah just because you're making money yeah and they probably don't even offer health insurance they definitely don't eleanor i do get it but we did take it a little too long the the farness was appropriate but the length of time was not right and the only thing that and this might have been answered because she said so i have a question so she said no one wanted her story mm-hmm. because editors were like well we're taking or booksellers were like we're taking this off our shelves but then in the seventh edition her dedication was added mm-hmm. i think yeah. there's an answer in here i just don't know what it is did we say in the beginning of this book that her book was like weird and spooky and kooky and it, it sort of took off like a pop- posthumously like after her death a little bit yeah but then after her death like she as a part of her will she wanted like one of the last things she did and she says that one of the last things she did before she disappeared was she called her editor and said if there's any other editions of my book please add this please mm-hmm. add this dedication to it well then there would already had to have been six previous editions i'm looking at the wikipedia article which is in the beginning of the book is i'm on page 33 but in the seventh edition, you're right. The seventh yeah. edition. So there was six editions. But maybe so she it was should just have known like six that. Six years. If there's, if there's six editions in six years, then you should have known that people liked your book. And like her whole thing is that no one listened to her. No one wanted her story. Yeah, but she was like turning away people's letters. So maybe she's just very depressed. Yeah, maybe. And she's like not even paying attention. And clearly, like something's going on here. Something. She's like. She's yeah. not all there. Right. Because she spent a lot of time alone, I'll say that. Traumatic childhood, yeah. Yeah. And all of her correspondence was returned unopened. Yeah, she literally just, she probably just shut herself away and didn't even pay attention to the fact. Because she, like, got all this money, too. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I'm assuming that's how Arthur has all this money, because mm-hmm. he didn't do anything. Yeah. His parents didn't do anything. And everybody was before that didn't do anything. Yeah. I have a question about 284. Why are they feasting on, like, the power plant's ash pond? And what does that have to do with the fact that it's leaking down in there? Um, what does okay. that have to do with the the mist and the beasts? And what do they all have to tie in together? Okay. So, again, this is my interpretation. I'm, I'm, this is what how I perceived it. And this may be wrong. Alex, I want any you're... interpretation because I have zero. Okay. Alex, I know you're a big fan of the pod. So, if you disagree, please let me know. Um, and Alex, I'm not like wondering because I'm an yeah. asshole. Like, I'm actually curious. This was a great book. <laughs> Clearly, in this story, we have a like connection to the power of water. Like, what with the the dream river being mm-hmm. a thing. So, I think that if they are essentially feasting on this corrupted water from the Gravely Power Plant, essentially, they're giving power both like in the fact that it's from a power plant and also like giving value to this corrupted water which is like running like an artery throughout the whole city because it's like coming from a power plant that fuels the whole city and also like employs the whole city so it has like work being like very representative of the entire city and the whole town is made um made on all these mines so like underneath the land there's all these like little fingers that are like dribbling down Mm -hmm. into like their magical river so the beasts are like feeding on that plus their magic and like essentially becoming more powerful and more real through the stuff in the ash pond and i think that that means that they can like spread out a little bit because previously they were 
only linked to being able to exit through Starling House, which is why they were, like, very misty and not very real when they left there. Like, when Arthur was fighting them in the yard. Mm -hmm. But I think that if they are more connected to, like, the grid of the water underneath of the whole city, then they can kind of come up from anywhere. Because the Gravelys just have, like, a pond that they... It leaks because they built themselves on these mines. And they put their another thing they carelessly threw away like all these people Mm -hmm. and all this money and all this like whatever they just carelessly like dumped it and it's Mm -hmm. like sort of leading to their own demise Mm. does that make any sense a little bit yeah okay okay (laughs) i just think it's just like the power the water is powerful and it's it's like a a source for the town and also a source from the town that Mm -hmm. is connecting directly to the beasts underground so eventually after this she convinces eleanor to stop she's like eleanor you're tired this is old and Eleanor's basically like, oh, like, oh, like, I got the beast to, like, uh, glee the ash pond, and which is the power plant, which we don't know what's happening at this point. And Opal's just like, all right, just go to bed. We'll figure it out later. Um, well, they have sort of, like, a little bit of a battle where she's just, like, imagining different places for us. Oh, yeah, out, yeah. I was fun. Yeah. Oh, that was fun the- for you. That wasn't fun for me. <laughs> really? No, I I'm just like, cool. this is getting a little out of hand. That was the point five for me. Yeah, I mean, they were having kind of, like, a little bit of, like, a, a ver- verbal battle at the same time. They were just like, oh. But it was good blah, blah, because blah, blah, blah. that's when Opal realized that, oh, like, I'm in her dream. Well, this bitch is going to be in my dream. And then they go mm-hmm. back to the motel Yeah, in her dream. Yeah. And then Eleanor tries to take over it and makes it catch on fire. Mm-hmm. And all this stuff. But no, it's just a little bit of a montage there. But moral of the story is, yeah, she's like, Eleanor, fucking go to sleep. Yeah. Your child. Right. She's asleep. Things kind of change a bit. And she goes outside to get Arthur. But she realizes that Arthur's not fighting beasts. He's in his own dream now where he's fighting all of the people that he could not save. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah. a child. He's like a 16 year Yeah, yeah. I actually thought he legit changed. I was like, what the fuck? Then I realized it was a short-term problem. Because I was, I was like, this is not going to fly. We're right. All of a sudden a teenager. I'm not going to enjoy that. Right. But I didn't think Alex would do that to us. I right. Her. <laughs> so then she sort of like erupts from the mist and is like, I'm here. You're dreaming. And he's like, no, I, you're a dream. And she's like, no, I'm not, girl. Like, relax. And then they end up sleeping. They just sleep um, until September. Respect. I want to do that. And we get this beautiful little illustration, which I love. Yeah. So the narration changes in the epilogue. Uh-huh. I just had a thought. Okay, sorry. First of all, this is a book within a book again, and I fucking love that. Yes, I was Um, like, that Goodreads review I read where the footnotes add nothing. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, did you read it, girl? Yeah. Um, Maybe, whatever. But it's a book within a book, and Queen Alex is the best. I feel like all of her books do this, and I think that's probably why I love it so much. Anyway, I just had a thought. Okay. So the book within a book. The book inside of this physical book in our life is written by Opal and Arthur. I think it is because something I just caught before we like literally 15 minutes before we came on in the bibliography, which I also did not fucking realize until today. Yeah, it's like part of it. Also, did you read this stuff past the acknowledgments? Because there's like a a second epilogue. Okay, friends, next time you want to stay up to finish a book, don't go to bed. (laughs) Um, The top Uh bibliography right here is Starlings, the Starling House Recordings of Incidents from pri- the private collection of Opal and Arthur Starling. Yeah. Yeah, so I just noticed oh, yeah. that today. It's the house. Uh, 
So yeah, I think it's them writing it, but I also really loved how some people said the motel owner even went up to the Starling place and rattled the gates, hollering, but no one answered. She kicked the groceries that were piled at the end of the drive, spraying curdled milk across the road and left. There was some talk about deeds and property rights. Don gravely kept trying to bully the county surveyor out there, but the surveyor told Don he wasn't paid enough to set foot on Starling land and that mm -hmm. Don no longer had enough money to bribe him, which was perfectly true. Don gravely gave an interview to the Courier Journal in July, assuring everyone that the expansion plans were still underway and that they would rebuild stronger and bigger than ever. Except in that very same issue, there was an article about a lawsuit being brought on against Gravely Power and a newly discovered will. That librarian woman from the eastern side of the state found it tucked in the Bible in Leon Gravely's own handwriting. And then I think some part later it said something about that damn librarian again. Yeah, it's like towards the end of that blog, and I don't remember what it was. Yeah, but I think, so did Opal actually inherit all of that money? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. Because people, when they actually did show up, like months later, which I guess they both drank enough that they actually fell asleep for a few months. Probably. Yeah, okay. I would believe that. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. They kept, like, making changes to the house or something, and everyone's like, I guess they have money to spend. And then they find out, essentially, like, that they're writing a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're making updates to the house, and yeah, like they must have money to burn. People aren't entirely clear on where it all came from. All they know is that Sterling House would not rot away after all. Few of the theories are perfectly true, but none of them are the whole truth. Most people conclude that they're writing a book. The hairdresser heard it was a romance. The old meter man is hoping for horror. A member of the historical society claims it's a history of the town, and one of their very own founding members is a fact checking in it in the form of footnotes and a bibliography mm -hmm. i did catch that part i did catch which that. is fun because it's all three of those things yeah i know and i caught that part too i was like oh it's everything <laughs> whatever it is it must be illustrated it is mm -hmm. <laughs> several people have seen the young man on the banks of the mud river so obviously it's written like the illustrations are by a human being but it's mm -hmm. fun that in the book they're like canonically by arthur and that's why this is such a great book but the last line of the book um, there are still dreams sometimes. You should be afraid. There are stories about this house, and you've heard all of them, but in the dream, you don't hesitate. In the dream, you're home. And I thought that was really cute, especially coming from the theory that Opal and Arthur are writing this. Mm -hmm. This, And I think, because we had a question before about how Opal's narration is written in I statements, mm -hmm. and Arthur's is written in third person, but we also just talked about how Arthur hates himself. Mm -hmm. So he distances himself from himself in writing a story and he can write about himself like a character and she writes about herself like an I and in the epilogue they collectively write about them both mm. from a distance mm -hmm. and I thought that was cute that is cute and then in the post epilogue which I have never fucking read that's okay it's um it's like a little bit of a like a throwaway it says seven years later what yeah where <laughs> past the acknowledgement there's nothing past the acknowledgement what is I got a Barnes and Noble edition thing. Oh, shipples. I got this at Target because my Barnes didn't have it. <gasps> Wait. There's a post epilogue. <laughs> Can you read it to me? <laughs> yeah. It's a couple pages, but I um I will I can read the whole thing to you. Okay, just want. send me pictures. I'll send you pictures. But essentially what it is, it's like told from the perspective of this girl named Virtue, who is essentially a runaway from home. And she's in her dad's truck and she is running away and she hates her home and she's lost. And she crashes the car outside of Starling House. And 
but it's told like she doesn't you know opal's not named or anybody but like you know it's like a weird woman with red hair walks out um yeah sinkholes are a real problem back here like you know shit happens like do you need are you hungry and then she's like oh no i'm fine thank you and then opal goes not bad but talk slower and don't blink like you're a bad liar kind of thing. oh oh <laughs> Um, and then she essentially says, like, oh, I'm going I'm going back to my house, which is only a little bit that way if you want to follow me. Like, if not, I'm going to leave. You know, there'll be food and, and some supplies for you outside of the gate. And so the girl, like, waits and kind of watches her walk away. And then she goes back. And outside the gate, there's, like, a backpack with, like, a bunch of peanut butter jars and jelly jars and a loaf of bread and, like, a wallet full of 20s. <laughs> and then she she's kind of, like, hiding and she sees, like, Opal walk behind the gate and then says something to no one. And she's like, if she ever comes back, let her in. No stupid bloodshed, okay? <laughs> to the house. And then Arthur is essentially like, maybe we should give her the Chevy. And she's like, no, you gave me the Chevy, jackass. <laughs> anyway, I think she's done with trucks. Um, the man asks, how old was she? Maybe 16. An infant, basically. And then they're both like, they're just like having like cute little banter. Like they've been together for a long time. And they're both talking about kids. And then they walk away. Mm. and it's cute they're basically like oh should we ask her to stay kind of thing and they're like look like we keep discovering all these guest rooms and Mm. you made jasper's six little cousins live with us for the entire summer i know we keep finding new guest rooms but the last one had three bunk beds in it and i think that means i think that means the house is hitting its limit because i guess his his dad's nephews and stuff oh okay but then they kind of just like walk away hand in hand and and there's a note in the bag that says, you can catch a greyhound at the Waffle House. On the back, it says, you can always come back. Just follow the starlings. Oh, cute. I was wondering if the house would call to keep calling to runaways or homeless kids or any, any homeless person. If it would keep calling because now that they don't really need new wardens, like, I was wondering what was going to happen with that. But I guess it does still. Yeah, it does a little, and I also feel like maybe the house is just, like, contented to have, like, a happy family, because I don't yeah. know where that line is about the house dreaming of house things. No, I, re- I remember I remember that line. I do remember that. I just didn't put two and two together. Yeah, because I feel like the house just wants to have, like, it just wants to be, like, a safe place for people, so it's like... Yeah. The house is probably really excited to have, like, a essentially old married couple living in it. For right, and now it's like, more, more. Overall... I like this book a lot. Yeah, me too. I like books that make you think. It does. And it not like it doesn't make you think in a bad way. It doesn't make you think like this makes no sense. It it mm-hmm. makes sense and you just have to find it. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Oh, thank you. Do you have any closing thoughts on Starling House? I don't. I don't have any closing thoughts. It was a great book. I will reread it at some point, but I've got like probably upwards of 70 books in my TBR now because I keep buying shit, so... I wish I could, like, think of something clever. Hold on. No. It's past 9 o'clock. I don't think. Oh, my God. Yeah. Bedtime. All right, besties. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week. (laughs) We're going to go to bed because we're grandmas. Bye. Bye. besties thanks for hanging out with us don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and we will see you monday with another episode bye bye